Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And today we are talking with Teru Claval, who is a comparative education expert and author. She's a mother of three. She has raised her children in a few different countries, and she has a lot to say on our education system. No, I love being able to hear from someone who's experienced education out of this country and then inside the U.S. and being able to compare them. And honestly, some of the stats that she's sharing about just the state of education right now is extraordinarily eye-opening. All right, guys, enjoy. Silly mommy. So I'm Teru Clavel. I am an author and an education specialist, and I specialize in comparative and international education. I've done some TV work, and I love talking about parenting and education as it relates to globalization. My book is called World Class, and it has recently been an Amazon bestseller, so I'm happy about that. And I'm working on my second book, and it's actually going to be a series for kids, 8 to 12. And so I'm hoping that because it's hard for a lot of parents and teachers to have conversations that we're having with our kids, so hopefully I can go directly to the source, and I'm writing books uh, for, for kids next. You can find me pretty much everywhere. You can Google me. Teru Clavel. At Teru Clavel at, on Instagram, Twitter. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm forgetting one LinkedIn. I have a website. Um yeah, you can find me on Amazon. I have a Simon & Schuster author page, but reach out to me. I love talking about this stuff. And I have three kids, and right now they're 15, 14, and 10. All right, so we're in those ages where we are thinking a lot about education, a lot about school. What are some really important things that we should think about when we are in our school search? The first thing that I always talk about is look at the community Look at the parents because the children are directly a product of the parents. So even though what's happening in the classrooms and the teachers and the curriculum and maybe the equipment, that's all really important. The reality is those kids come in with a certain set of values and that social interaction is most important. Actually, and I I went through this because when my oldest was in preschool in Hong Kong, I was so worried because he had this amazing relationship with his teacher. And normally in that school, the teachers move up with the students when they go to the next grade. And they said that she was getting promoted, so they were going to get a new teacher. So I go to the head of the school, and I go, this is a problem. I don't know what to do. And the head of the school, who was one of these 60-year-old veterans in the education system, said, really, the most important thing are his friends. And I thought, okay, I don't believe you, but we'll see. And it actually was, was really, really true. Um, so I would say, if anything, talk to the parents. Um, current parents are probably more important than those who have had kids mm-hmm. who graduated already because schools change all right. the time. And you've probably heard, even from grade to grade, class to class, there's so much variability. So I would say look at at the parents that make up the community. The second I would say is definitely look at the teacher. There's nothing more important in the class, in the school, than the teacher. I mean, you could put a really accomplished teacher in in a ramshackle building with students, but if he or she is qualified to be teaching, that's the best thing. So look at the teacher attrition, the turnover rate, what kind of training they have, what kind of schools they've taught at before, and look at their professional development requirements. That is really, really important. I would say if, if you're only looking at a couple of things, look at, look at those two things. 
So you um, had an opportunity when your children were young to live abroad, uh, in Asia specifically, Mm -hmm. and it feels like it set you ablaze, set you on this course of life. Is is there something going on with Americans edu- America's education system right now that you think is a problem or that sure so we're so as background for your listeners so the NAEP scores came out and that tests fourth and eighth grade American students U S students and it showed that we are pretty much on a decline or flatlining or on a decline last week the PISA scores just came out and that tests fifteen year olds across seventy nine. Uh, cooperating economies and countries. And it showed that in science, reading, and in math, American students, again, are flatlining, or in the case of math, declining. So that's just fact in terms of the background. And that's just on core competencies, like like being able, I mean, to do basic algebra, being able to, I guess at 15, you're doing calc, maybe like? Well, so no, that's a really good question. So what it tests is people, it's only a two-hour test, and it tests in three subject areas. So what's really interesting is it's not about knowing what two plus two is. It's about applying those concepts that you learn in math, reading, and science to real-world scenarios. So it's mostly mm-hmm. word problems. So it's if you go to the pizza oh. joint and you have three pieces of pizza and you're sharing with a friend and then you have different prices if you have pepperoni or not. And then so it's 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 a very straightforward kind of how are we raising our kids to succeed in the real world. And the PISA test actually doesn't just test for academics, but it also looks into socioeconomic backgrounds. It looks into mindset, um, academic resiliency. So it tests a bunch of different different things, even how U.S. kids um, perceive their life satisfaction, which is actually much lower than we we think. And their mindset is actually much lower than those of other other countries. And something else that I think is really interesting that it showed. Yeah, it's really alarming. And see, what I hear often is because I wrote a book on the education systems of East Asia, and I did spend two years in Palo Alto where my kids went to the local public schools there. But we often think that East Asian countries are too rigorous, too academic, you know, the whole Tiger Mom Association. But the PISA scores showed that U.S. students think their schools are far more competitive than those kids that are in their East Asian schools. And they're far less collaborative. So that's a really, really interesting finding as well. But do you feel like that's because there are more variation of kinds of schools in this country? Um, like I went, I, I, I was in China back in 2003. Oh, wow. And, um, and it was um, and again, this is just me looking in. So mm-hmm. I, I, this is this is my memory of it. Um, I remember that that at least they were telling me that there was a um, there's the parents' bedroom, the children's bedroom, the bathroom, the kitchen, the family space slash slash eating space, and then the child study because it was so important for the children to study. So even the architecture of these homes. The child had to have a study. Sure. Um, and I wonder if there was so much that it was, it, there's just not an, another option, that that's what the option is. You go and you do this. Whereas you'll see in this country, there's, for for better or for worse, there's a lot of options out there. So I think we're aware of it. Do you feel like I'm oversimplifying it a no, little bit? No, I think you bring up, I would say, two really valid points. Um, to go back to the diversity in this country, absolutely. Um, we have socioeconomic diversity that is a problem. I mean, if you are born in the 10% most underprivileged or socioeconomically disadvantaged, let's say, taxed district, that means your public schools are probably going to be 
underfunded um, and you're not going to get the best teachers, which is what what you should right. be getting. And based on these comparative test scores and, and the surveys that are done, what we see is that the least um, socioeconomically advantaged kids in China have the highest growth mindsets, meaning they feel like they have the most opportunity and they are getting a top quality education compared to our kids. If our most disadvantaged kids were studying in China, they would be performing years ahead of our kids today. The average performance. I think kids. it's also. I think it's also the parents' mindset because I Absolutely. remember that the parents were so focused. This is their child. This is yes. when I believe when you can only have one yes. child. This is their child that is going to lead the family name, and so that child has a lot of responsibility on their shoulders. Sure. Whereas in lower income, you know. Maybe the the parent is working all the time. They can't be focusing on the kid, and that's almost sometimes, unfortunately, that's the that's the last thing. Not in all all homes, obviously, but there is that that element of some of some families that are struggling in this country that um, that the kids aren't getting focused on. And then you send them to a school that might not be that good, and there's mm-hmm. not a lot of resources, and they can kind of get lost in the shuffle. Whereas I remember, at least from being in China, that was their entire focus was their child. I would agree with that completely. I mean, there's many stories where families will get a mortgage, second mortgage, sell their car, move, whatever they need to, to fund yeah, to fund their child's education. And I lived in China where, where when the, there was a one-child-only policy. So I had three kids in a country where I could barely speak the language, mm-hmm. and there were school notices that were constant. I mean, it was like, and they were printed on basically newspaper. I mean, it was horrible. They'd be crinkled. I couldn't understand them. I had to hire a college student every day who came after school to translate all the notices for me. Wow. And that that prioritization of school, it's it, it was it's a national value. It's it's culturally prioritized, like you said. I will tell you, having been socialized to be a parent in Asia, I have a room that's a separate study room. I'd rather put all three of my kids in a single room and have a separate room as a study room than to have them have their own rooms with desks in them. But even just what you what you just said feels like the parent is at school as much as the children mm-hmm. are at school. Like they are they're testing your willingness to be the guardrails, the extremely involved, the you know hiring someone to come and translate all the notices you're getting from them constantly. That's that's a huge expectation. But see, actually, on, that that's more. Sorry, no. I just want to say in Japan, in Japan, that may be the case, and that's definitely something where there are more socialized gender roles, where the birth rate is going down because there's just so much pressure on the moms. And I talk about this in World Class, where if you have a child, for every child you have in elementary school, you have to volunteer a year on the PTA. And that can literally be a full-time job. So it doesn't matter if you are a doctor or lawyer, whatever it is, you still have to do one year of volunteering. And it's usually always, always, always the mom. And in contrast, in Shanghai, basically it was two sets of grandparents, a set of parents, and one child. Right. So you have if you do the math, you have two, six. four, six, yeah. you know, six adults who are focusing on one child. Focusing completely on mm-hmm. one child. So although I went to pick up almost every single day, I would say probably every single day, the pickup, there's almost no parent. It was typically grandparents who were there because the the parents were working. They were dual income homes that way. And the entire future of that lineage depended on that child. But the kids are happy? I was going to say. So talk to me about how the kids are in such good headspace having all of that pressure on them. But that that's that's the thing as well, is that there's a tremendous amount of pressure. I, you know, in private conversations with some people, they were telling me how if they 
um, and please guys don't generalize this because this is just my conversations with some people. This is me very uneducated about this, just my experience there, is that that the parents would say, if my ch child doesn't do well, we're going to be looked down by other families in their community because the, the and they would use the word ostracized, we'll be ostracized by other people in the community They because your entire focus is on the future and that's resting on one person's shoulders. And so it's the, in charge, the entire family rallies around this one kid. So, you know, I mean, I think it depends very much on if the child's, you know, how the child thrives, how they how they learn, if that is going to make the child happy or or not happy. Um, within the day, I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, because again, this is just information that was given to me there, their day was structured by the government as well in terms of, you know, there was a certain amount of play, there was a certain amount of focusing on extracurricular activities and and so on. Am I wrong? She's looking at me like I'm not so sure about no, that. No, I'm thinking about it because actually, so education in the U.S. is highly decentralized. It's not only not by the federal government. It's not only just by state. It's actually by school district. Mm -hmm. um, Japan is highly centralized. It's all done by their Ministry of Education, which is like our Department of Education in D.C. China is highly decentralized. So when I talk about Shanghai, it's a first tier city. There are second, third tier cities and then there are provinces in the rural areas. And in Shanghai, so they have their own they have the most decentralized, free kind of – they create their own curriculum, I guess is the best way to say it. Mm. Um, and China – within China, Shanghai is known to have probably the most advanced or highest – So you're um, saying by district. So basically maybe where I was, that was their rules. But that not is, is not necessarily all of China. It may – it may, In, uh, yeah, I don't think it is. Okay, um, interesting. Yeah, but within Shanghai, it they, they have different types of schools for sure. Um, it is more regulated – Absolutely, than it is in the U.S. Um, but so here's something that I think is really interesting. It's, you know, in the U.S., and I don't know if you have this experience with your kids, but the curriculum can change, you know, year to year, day to day, week to week. And if you have twins, like what one is learning in one classroom could be completely different from what your other one is learning in another classroom. And, you know, a teacher can go home and be like, oh, this is so cool. I'm lesson planning. This is a new app I can use. Or maybe I'll teach it this way. And there's so much flexibility. And that's a beautiful thing in the U.S., but it can also not be a good thing if you have maybe a teacher that hasn't been trained right. to be able to or not or have motivated. experience or, more, more, right. you know, so it can go both ways. Whereas in places like China and Japan, for instance, in, in China, the curriculum is reformed every five years. And in Japan, it's every 10 years. And that when I was in Japan, I made this joke because I was an education journalist and my editor would say, he would say, okay, can you do the education roundup for the year? And I would make this horrible joke. I'd say, just print last year's, yeah. you know, because I was like, <laughs> nothing changes. But there's a beauty to that because what ends up happening is in that time between curricular changes, they're evaluating every single, you know, possibility of if we if we change this, how are we going to tweak this? How are we going to so the social emotional development, the morals training, the social social studies curriculum, it's it's so interdisciplinary. Right. And the professional development that goes along with it too is is the teachers are getting trained because the professional development hours are so high. So in the U.S., where, you know, you can become a teacher, you can get your credential or license, and then it's very easy to keep up your license in the U.S. Whereas in China and Japan, you have to go through hundreds of hours of professional development, classroom observations, um, and it's even psychiatric mental evaluations. Mm -hmm. There's so many mm -hmm. things that it's almost like becoming a doctor where you can't keep your license unless you're up to date or same for for a lawyer, you have to be up to date on the latest. Well, I mean, you think about interest in terms of how the next generation is so treasured in China mm. that, 
of course, the people that are going to be teaching your school, it better, you know, the, the quality better be the best of the best. So, you know, we're we're in this country and we have the education that that we have. What are certain things that we can do in our own schools? You know, there's tons of people that I know that say, I don't have the ability to move to go to a different school. Yeah. I, I can't pay for a fancy private school. So this is this is what it is. What are different invest and say you're not that person that can go and get mm-hmm. on the PTA because sure. you're working sure. all the time. Absolutely. You know what I mean? There's like it's I even for me with with my kids' schools, I struggle. You know, I struggle to be able to find the time to be to to even have play dates with them. You know what I mean? Our kids get home, they go to school, they leave at seven forty-five in the morning. Our kids get home at like four, four fifteen PM and then it's bedtime, you know, it's, we spend some time and then eat and bedtime yeah. and then, you know, weekends or weekends, you know what I mean? But it's the amount of time is very small. So how can we improve um, our ability to, to create these, these uh, education places for our kids? So the way I think about it is I break it up into micro and macro issues because there's so many things, like you said, it's, it may take a lifetime to change kind of the macro level policy issues. Um, and it, those changes may never happen while your child is still at school. Mm-hmm. So what can you do on the micro level as a parent at home? And one of the first things I say is, and this is a buzzword now, that this idea of mastery. And I, I go back to, okay, so as a parent, your values. When you talk about education, and I also say you can never start too soon. I mean, literally, when you're starting to talk to your child when they're first born, start, start talking about these things. What is an education? What does it mean? What is the privilege of an education? Is it reading all the time? Is it getting a certain score? Is it making good friends? Is it evaluating your friendships? Is it art, music? What What is it about art and music? But these are things, because we are, we're really, really busy. Um, so talking about those things. So for example, I when I talk to parents, I'll get a question, you know, well, how am I supposed to watch their homework or do all this stuff when I'm taking them to club soccer five days a week? And my answer to that is, okay, well, as much as we want to say kids don't want approval from their parents or it's not good for them to get, they, every, everybody wants approval from I me. Mean, that's just human nature mm-hmm. um, to be validated, right? But if you're showing your kids that you're spending that much time taking them to club soccer, but you're not asking them about their education, they're going to want to get really good at soccer and they may not really care that much about their education. Mm-hmm. So it's modeling that behavior for them. Or oftentimes I'll say, my kids just don't read. And I'll say, well, how much do you read? Do you show them your reading? Because you are their most important role model, right? So these are conversations that we should be having. And, you know, certain families have different levels of expectation within school. So I can tell you, and this was a heart-wrenching story, actually, that I thought when I when I had my oldest in school in Shanghai, when he was in elementary school, and he was kept after school, and then I had to pick up my two younger ones from preschool. I can't speak the language. We were kind of not really allowed as non-Chinese nationals to even have my kids in the public school. So I was not going to make a fuss, right? right? But he's in this school and he's kept after school. He's with his math teacher and he's kept late. It's like 10 minutes, 20 minutes. I swear every minute felt like it was like a gazillion years. And and I'm and I'm going, you know, pointing at my watch, like, we have to go, we have to. He starts crying. I'm going, oh my gosh, it's a disaster. I've destroyed my child. He's going to hate school forever. And the long and the short is, he was kept after school that day because he didn't get a 95% on his arithmetic quiz. And that was very normal. If you didn't get it, you just stayed after school and you, you stayed until as long as it took to understand the material, to master it. And he only started crying because I was putting so much pressure on him to leave. He thought it was normal. He said, oh, lots of kids stay through dinner. 
which is that's the level of mastery. That's the level of expectation. And when you think about a class like math, it's foundational, right? You're not going to do well in calculus if you don't know your basic arithmetic. And I bring that story up because I was socialized to parent there. So within our family, it's like that was always kind of the standard. 95 is is a little high. But, you know, but it's like in this country, you can pass at a 60 or 65. And what is that 60 or 65? So it can be, you know, when you get your report cards, some of that can be based on pure class participation or attitude. And they may not even know how to read, write, or spell properly. I mean, these are things that parents can really look into and have these conversations mm-hmm. all the time, you know, and talk about, oh, what did you read today? What did you think of it? What, you know, and 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 don't and and don't force the kids to mm-hmm. to give whatever answer you want. Have them initiate the conversation and prod. You know, you're 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 managing their educations. I mean, it breaks my heart when I go to parent groups sometimes. I'll say, so why do you think your kids want to go to school? Or why do they go to school? And I've been to, to sessions because I run workshops and some parents are like, because it's the law. I mean, that is such a low bar yeah. that hopefully we think it's the gateway to opportunity because it is. I mean, if you are, you know, let's say is an adult, you're down and out, you're 25, 30, 35, you've been laid out, laid off, or you have some some tragedy in your family. The people who are most educated have the most options to pivot. Right. Right. I think it's interesting, though, that you drew the analogy to tiger moms and that like this is like a buzzy thing for Americans that that this idea that um, it's only because the mothers are there like driving them forward and withholding the affirmation that kids are so motivated to perform. But what you just said feels like your son was the one who was like, no, I mean, he socialized, too, because his peers were these were around him doing the same thing. But but it sounds like the motivation was very internal for him. He was actually, if anything, educating you about how to. That's so true. About how to care about education the way that he did. So you and I and I think you said that, you know, you 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 were culturally, you know, educating in in Asia now that you've, you've sort of brought that same way of thinking back now. Is it different than the way you see parents of your kids, friends parenting? And like, what is are there things that you would say you would sort of try to teach them that, that like maybe would be helpful? Well, certain things I would say. So when you walk into our home, the first room that you see, it's an apartment in New York City, but the first room to our right is our study. And everybody, including me, we all have desks in the room and that's our the Everyone first study. works in that one room. Everybody that's works the in that room. one room. Okay, very good. Um, and so it, the kind of the stories I told before, like if your kid isn't reading or or here's a good one. When we came back to the U.S., and this was in 2016, and my youngest was in second grade at that point, and my older two, I had, what grades? I had a fifth grader and a seventh grader. And then my daughter comes home and just, oh, I'm just not good at math. And I'm looking at her like, what? I've never heard this before from my children because it didn't exist. I mean, maybe math is easier or hard for certain children, but you still do it. And everybody can do it. It's just a matter of how to learn the content. So there I am, I'm looking at her and it's kind of this mindset thing too. So parents, teachers, they bring that mindset with them. They'll say, oh, I'm just not a math person. Oh, I didn't read many books or I'm just not a good writer. And it's really easy then to give these kids around you, whether you're a teacher or a parent, a pass. It's permission to not be it. It is tricky. I mean, I am one of those people that I have said my entire life and I'm gonna put myself out there like, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at math. And Part of it is because I didn't get a great education in math. Part of it is because my brain doesn't actually work that way. Part of it is because I was really good at other things. Mm -hmm. And so I was very focused on wanting to do those other things. But it is difficult 
you know, when for for our listeners to say, you know, who are saying, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing the next thing and doing this thing. I don't have the resources to get tutor. I myself am not good at math. I am not, you know, it ends up being this whole, it's, it's, it's difficult. And when you don't have, you know, and this is, seems to be kind of part of your point, when you don't have a whole system like you would in China where, well, if you didn't get this on your arithmetic, you're going to stay after class and we're going to help you figure that out. If you don't have a but system it's also not in punishment. Play. It's like here, you're going to stay and you're going to get detention. Yeah, yeah, that's what there. I thought. This is that you're going to stay and you're going to get it and you're, going to, and you're going to learn it. You're going to exactly. get like something additional. It's a bonus. It's, like, exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, free tutoring. Yeah. And you're not stupid because you need it. You just haven't gotten this concept yet. So that's so on me gonna, as right. a teacher. I'm going to stay here and help you. Which which goes back to the resource question because if you're not able to pay your teachers the uh, like an, a salary that would allow them to have that extra time with every student that they have, or there's so many students in a class that are not at the proficient level that they can't devote those resources, we kind of leave ourselves in an unwinnable situation. Yeah, well, so I, I'd say two things to that. I'd say we definitely have to revamp our teacher recruiting and retention and professional development in this country. I mean, there's no question that we, we can't fault our teachers, um, not in all cases, but, you know, we we for the most part, we can't because the teacher training is so poor in this and, country. And the pay and how teachers and are the getting. Pay, I mean, that's you know, really where it comes exactly. from. How are you going to retain them if you're not treating them well? Exactly. So, I, I mean, it, being a first-year teacher in this country is miserable. In other countries, there's mentoring yeah. mm. for year, year after year, you know, and you're going to get assigned a teacher most for the most part in your school who will take care of you and here i mean first year teachers are absolutely miserable how are you going to retain them and it costs so much money on our system to keep finding new ones mm-hmm. and keep training them and then losing them so we definitely have that problem here what about internal motivation because i think that's something yeah. you know lots of parents are concerned about or curious about you've young kids you've older kids how do you get them to want to learn for themselves, mm-hmm. to value that hard work that it takes, and to not do it just for the external validation, but for something internal as well. I think it's really having those conversations really early on and showing them and role modeling for them what those opportunities are, how empowered you are, especially in a country like ours where we are very capitalistic. And it's really hard, especially today, to move ahead without an education. And so there's, you know, something called intergenerational mobility and ours is going down, meaning so much of your life is predetermined by who your parents are and what kind of opportunities you are given by then. So hopefully we can change that around a little more and show that the education can move the needle. But it's how, you know, it's showing them. Okay, so here's a here's an example I like. Even if your kid does badly on a test and they fail a test, I mean, I hope I actually shouldn't say I hope you failed the test, but I failed the test before. And I probably, those hurt more than anything. I remember those. And I remember the content on those more than anything because Mm. it was humiliating, right? And so those experiences, when you show your child, okay, so how good did it feel to learn that content? And that struggle, it's something we're taking away from our kids all the time at home, in the classrooms, in our community. Let your kids fail, let them fall. Don't always go and, and fix their problems for them because all they sh- all they learn is that, oh, someone can come fix my problem for me, you know, and we're so on top of them in the classrooms are giving, they're getting multiple takes on a test, on a project, on an assignment, which, you know, we all need training wheels, but at some point they have to come off. And then we have this issue whereby the, our 18-year-olds, 22-year-olds are not launching, they're encumbered with debt from college, but we have to be better about supporting them and showing them 
show them, give examples, give them bi- biographies, your own examples of what an education did for you. And Hilaria, I would say to you, so you say you're not a math person, and I can tell you, and I'm very open with my my holes in my education world class. I mean, how I got an Ivy League education, never taking geography, never took physics. How is that possible? You know, these things. I Chemistry, I did miserably in, and these are hangups that I have, but I think I went the other way. And it's almost like since I felt very handicapped by that, and I learned this in Asia too, I don't want to give that to my kids. And there have been studies that show that Asian parents, regardless of how they were educated, they will give every opportunity to their kids so that they don't have that. Whereas in the US, it's almost like we're giving them a pass. You know, so what do you do with that? And I'm and I'm thrilled to say I think that's why I was so hard with my kids about math too. It's like you just have to learn it and whatever we do. So in terms of resources, which is something that you addressed, you have to pool your community resources. So if you can't hire a tutor, get a tutor to meet with five kids after school. You know, go online. I don't like, and I'm and this may be controversial, I don't like kids learning online. I think it's it's deteriorating their brains, it's atrophying, they don't retain stuff. I can go on and on about that. But as a parent, you can learn this stuff online and then spend time with your kids on it. You know, and and again, pull your resources, look at the community. I mean, there were so many countless times I went to the library and like looked for retirees or like a college student who was maybe or to a gap year or someone who just graduated from high school, high school kids. When we lived in Silicon Valley, so many everybody's starting a startup, right? And they all need to make money. I mean, they can be Uber drivers or they can be tutors. So I'd be like, will you will you come work with my with my children? So find anybody you can and prioritize it in a way that, okay, maybe you're not gonna go out to dinner. Maybe you won't have a family movie. Maybe I mean, my kids will probably, I felt good, actually. I heard Obama being interviewed and in, in saying that his mom made him do this. But in Japan, I woke up my kids a little early, 10 minutes early. We did math drills for 10 minutes every morning. Math drills? Math drills. Like what? Like, like are you learning cards? Cards? Yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, it depends. Yeah. So I just had a sheet and every morning and and they had to fill out. It had, I don't know, 50 to 100 kind of math problems. And they were graded themselves. And then they would be proud with whatever score they got. And, and they- you have three different versions because your yeah. kids are all different ages. Yeah, I, I had different versions. It's impressive. Do you have like a workbook you would pull out from, or how you just? I made, made them, them myself. And, oh my gosh! <laughs> I think so your cool. next. I think your next thing needs to be workbooks with tear out sheets and stuff like that. That yeah. you can, I'll sign up for it. Yeah, I know a mailer of just educational games you could play with like, your this kids. This is what you do every single. Yeah. Do you think that just primed their brains to go and learn better at school, or you think it just gave them a sense of like I want to accomplish, therefore I'm going to learn? Or I mean, is it? I think it's a bunch of things. You know, I I was asked this question recently at a, at a book talk I gave. Someone in the audience asked me, so do you think your kids have different brains and different capacities because, so they're trilingual, right? Because they went to school in Mandarin and in Japanese and 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 I taught them English at home and now they're in, in school in English. And are they different? And I said, oh, completely. But at the same time, that's the way a lot of the world educates their kids so while I want to say, oh, yeah, they're super special, they're really not because most of the world, I mean, if you go in many countries in Europe, in Europe, kids yeah. speak some, I mean, some kids speak five plus languages, yeah. right? So we're already at a disadvantage. So as much as we want to say, oh, every child should speak Spanish or Mandarin, it's like, well, that actually just helps the brain development and the code switching and an appreciation for a different culture. Right. I mean, there's so many things we can get from it um, just for, for neuroelasticity, mm-hmm. actually. Well, yeah. they say especially with Mandarin. Yeah. There's a lot of memorization and wrote that just to be able to read and, and write in, in Mandarin or in Japanese or a lot of languages, yeah. there's a lot of memorization and that requires a lot of discipline. And so that's something that carries through in life as well. How do you give the, your kids discipline, maybe your self-discipline 
in ways that are not just about education? Like, is does it carry through the rest of your day? I mean, because they're in school eight hours a day. Do you feel like there's I, 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 are there behaviors that you exhibit throughout the rest of your day that sort of in, you know reinforce that somehow? Like, are you very structured the rest of the day? Are you very loosey goosey? Are you do you eat the same meals? You've like Taco Tuesday every Tuesday. Do you like change it up? Like, I'm 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 fascinated by the way that organized people live their lives. <laughs> I think it's a great question. I have to say, so when my kids were really little, and you know, three kids, and and you have more than I do. You know, we had that typical board you know, the family board where everybody's schedule was up and everybody knew everything. And then for some time, I think I had the weekly dinner menu. And and so, I, I again, I went on another book, uh, a book event at someone's home and I went to their wall and it was exactly the same. And my heart almost, I was like, oh, it made me so nervous. <laughs> and I was like, wait, but I did that too. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's this funny thing where I feel like maybe it's just age and I'm getting tired, but my youngest is now 10 and she's probably benefited the least from that because it's kind of like, you know, and my, my older two say this to her all the time. They're always like, when we were your you age, so easy. we had two hours of homework <laughs> and we were in bed by seven. She made us go to bed by seven. And these days I'm like, you want to watch TV? It's sure. like 10 at night. It's so bad. <laughs> Whatever. I'm wondering if I'm going to like stunt her growth. You know what I mean? That's so She'll funny. She'll probably be your most yeah, successful. She, she, yeah, exactly. Like, she's yeah. going she's, she's gonna to rule the world. What does your husband do? Well, actually, I'm going through a divorce right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but he, he was a banker. He was He's in finance. Bank. Is he all like on board for the way that you do things as well? That's a really interesting question. Um, I would say while we were together, he, he was gone most of the time. He traveled all the time. So for the most part, I feel like I was a single mom, mm-hmm. which in some ways is easier um, in some way isn't, right? Because, because then you get to call all the all shots. All the shots. No, so my husband, who we're not divorced, but like I definitely am alpha in the home yeah. and I get to call all the shots and it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like that. Mm-hmm. And and people would ask me like, well, how do you make the decisions? I was like, what decisions? Like I, I make, I, I decide everything. <laughs> um, and so, you know, but now, interestingly enough, there's this important word called co-parenting. Right, yeah. So now I have to actually check in with him. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, and so, by the way, yeah, it's, she's it's, watching uh, TV at 10 p.m. <laughs> yeah, I know that the exactly. <laughs> it's, it's different. Um, yeah. So it's it's been there's been a learning curve there. But for the most part, I think. Oh, I know we both very much prioritize education. So on that, we are we're definitely on the same page. Good. And for that, I'm I'm very, very grateful. Absolutely. I feel like I got a fabulous education and I certainly had teachers who inspired me to love learning, which I think is the single greatest gift Absolutely. you can give your children as yes. you go through the educational process. But I will say that I think it was prioritized for me to know I I knew what I needed to do to get a great grade. And mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily learn for the purpose of learning or learn to retain. Like I have, I'm a terrible procrastinator. I have an excellent ability to retain information in the immediate term remember it for the test next morning. And literally, if you to ask me that afternoon, I could not tell you a single thing that I needed to know for mm-hmm. the test. I mean, it's just, and you learn, you, again, you learn how to do the things that are being told to you are the priorities. And I wasn't, it wasn't prioritized to me to learn for long-term sake or to learn for my own personal sense of confidence. It was told to me, learn so you get a good grade so you can go to a good college so you have a nice life. Like that yeah. was sort of the you know, pro- yeah. hypothesized progression. So I'm curious if you feel like your kids have a sense of empowerment. 
from what you've given them in this like gift of hard work and gift of seeing that hard work pays off? Well, so, I, so this is a great question. It's the first time I've been asked something like this. So I don't know. Do you remember the scene in Clueless, Alicia Silverstone's, mm-hmm. where I think she's she she gets I don't know what her grades were, but they weren't that great. Yes. And, and then like, she shows dad, up to her dad. Plus. Yeah, and her and her dad says something like. Well, go back and negotiate. You can do better. And she goes back and I think she gets straight A's. And I think that epitomizes <laughs> kind of what we can do in this country. Because mm. I, I was like, wow, yeah, okay, right there in black and white. It's showing us that we can game the system. And that was something that didn't happen when we were overseas. The grades very much reflected it was, well, the numer- It was much more numerical. It was a different way of st- of, of grading. Whereas, you know, when you write a paper, no, and it's, like, it's exactly. There's no participation or because it, it, you can go and argue. Boost participation or even when you're grading a paper, it's it's tricky because that is subjective. It's subjective. Yeah. yeah, but it wasn't always numeric. It was basically so – and. Get, okay, so guess how many pages the report card was for my for my son in elementary school in Shanghai? One. Fifteen? Forty-eight pages. Stop it! I swear to God. I love yeah. it! <laughs> what? <laughs> Actually, wait, I don't want to... Is it 40, I think it's 48. What it is there 46. to say if it's numeric? It's like 12. But yeah, but it, that's the thing. It wasn't numeric. When I first got it, I actually didn't even know what it was. I thought it was a new textbook or something that I got, you know? And I'm like, looking at this, what is this? And it was this book. And then immediately I thought, because I can't read it, right? After I have someone translate it, I'm thinking, oh, this is great. It's just going to be numeric. It's just going to be all on academics. And in Shanghai, starting in first grade, the teachers are subject specific. So you have a separate math teacher, science, English, Chinese. Mm-hmm. And the top half of the page was all academic stuff, like mm-hmm. content. How Here's they, what they're how they learning. Yeah. yeah. In the second half was all about the social emotional, was about the motivation, the organization, mm-hmm. all that stuff. I was going, oh, wow. Isn't this? I, I had no idea. And then here's the kicker. It was the, the teacher evaluation. And then the student had to evaluate. And then the parent had to evaluate. So it was so, so thorough. So, so when they're giving grades, though, mm-hmm. it's not on the part- class participation. There's no final one grade in elementary school. So it's based on different areas. So, you know, it's it's kind of like we would say excellent, very good, good, mm-hmm. uh, satisfactory. And they were just checked different categories. And it was it was it was amazing. So back to your question about my kids. And it's interesting because I do feel like and we've moved around a lot. My kids are on their seventh schools right now. Is that now. because of your, because your ex-husband's moved. work? Exactly. Is that why you guys moved exactly. around so much? So we were in we moved from New York to Hong Kong, then Shanghai, then Tokyo, then Palo Alto and just came back to New York oh summer of 2018. And where are they going to school now? Well, they go to private schools now in New York City, which which is like one of my great sorrows because I do believe in the public school system. But basically, my kids, for when we gained residency in New York City, my older two would have had to been enrolled in the remedial tracks mm. in the assigned schools where we were living. Got it. And I was, I mean, my kids are already lit just years ahead in math. And right. I just, it, it broke my heart. Yeah. And it's it's just another example of how the system is broken. But I do feel like my kids walk into a school and they feel like they own it because they've done this so many times. Right. And I, I haven't given them like external validation. Because okay, but do you ever tell them like you're really good at math or like you're great at math or you're great at something else? Because the other thing that really scares me is stunting language. Like mm. that you, you're so, I tell you you're great and then you become terrified of being bad or messing up or not being great and you stop you stop wanting to go out on a limb, which stunts your growth or, long term. Or it drives you because you're like, wow, yeah, I'm really good at it. So I should do it more. Depends on your personality. Or mm. you become like Tina Fey's hu- boyfriend, John Hamm, in 30 Rock, where everybody tells him he's really good his entire life and he's actually really bad at everything. And he's just really good looking. <laughs> so it could be one of the three. Pick one. 
Have you seen that episode? It's no, so funny. But I, I feel like I've dated. I feel like I've dated like twelve of those. Oh my people. god, that's, <laughs> that's hilarious. People like I'm such a great cook, and it's like really bad. Or like I'm so good at playing tennis, and like you can't hit the ball. But like Risen is great, and you're like, yeah, sure. Oh you god. continue just to be like quiet. Zaki because he's so good looking. You're like, okay, we're just gonna go with that. Oh, that's so funny. I think it is so true. true. <laughs> I think that no is doubt, so John Hamm has it easier. No, but I guess so. Do I tell my kids? I've, I've, you know, I've read all of the parenting books that tell you don't tell them they're great at things and and don't you know don't ask them leading questions and ask them open ended and all. But I think what I try to do, and this is not a recipe for for everybody, but what I try to do is just say, listen, I say this to each of my kids: you've been given so many gifts, you've shown you can do this stuff repeatedly, completely on your own. Because when they're in Shanghai, I couldn't help them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I did get them a tutor two times a week to come after school because they were literally my, my, one of my children was the only non-Chinese student in his school of over a thousand students, wow. you know, and they're getting tons, wow. as you know, tons of help at home, right. you know, and he was still one of the, he was a second ranked student in his grade. Wow. Um, so, the, so I just, t- I say to them, you can do this. And if you are wasting your education and not performing, it's on you because you're, this is, this is an opportunity. This is, this is a, a gift the gift of education. So it's it's really on them. And I say, if you need anything, you let me know. You know, they're like, Mama, what does this mean? And that mean, and I'm, I'm annoying. I'm like, <laughs> look the it up dictionary. in the dictionary, yeah. you know, <laughs> to the point where a couple of years ago, my kids were like, your vocabulary is really bad because you have to look everything up in the dictionary. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't think that's it. I just it, want but... you to learn how to use the back of the book. We like to ask our guests, what's your favorite thing? That really amazing heart ring that you have on your left hand. Oh, I do like this I very really much. <laughs> This is between us and between us and everybody who's listening. This is my freedom ring because it was really hard when I was starting my divorce to to not wear a ring on this finger. So I said, someone told me get a a ring for your middle finger, which is kind of ironic. Love, love you. Yeah. Love you with my heart ring. Yes, it's my freedom ring on the <laughs> on the, a, on the middle finger. Such a cool idea. Um, but okay, so I'll tell you, and this is again a big secret that's no longer going to be a secret. It's hip hop. I'm taking hip hop classes now, and I've promised myself I'm going to. So I'm doing it with a girlfriend of mine, mm-hmm. and we're going to come up with routines every month and post them on social media. Oh my god, I can't wait! I'm gonna start following. <laughs> wait, it's so fun. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Are you a good dancer? So okay, so I'm. I, I used to be a good dancer, and then I kind of felt like I was a mother, but were and I had you to be a good appropriate. Dancer in like ballet, or were you? No, a good like I was one of those girls in middle school. Well, middle school when the dances started, and the, and there were dance competitions, and the boys and girls started like every boy wanted to dance with me because I won all the dance competitions. <gasps> Wait, this wow, is awesome. fun! Yeah, so I'm, I'm picturing like a whole this. Stella, how Stella got her groove back <laughs> moment for you. Here. <laughs> 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 so we had this amazing teacher, and he, and so we do semi-private lessons. Oh, it's just the two of you, just the do two it of us. So we're doing this. We're like going to be you know like this duet every month but but so the funny thing is the instructors I was like you two work so hard I've never had students <laughs> like you and I looked at them and go we're both Asian yeah. we work really hard <laughs> so my girlfriend to this she's texting me all the time sorry Jennifer she's texting she's like we're not ready for our routine how many more hours do you have this week I'm like Jennifer I've interviewed like I have to like, no 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 are you free this nine is tonight? when you didn't get a 95 and you <laughs> yes. have to stay extra <laughs> So that was Taru. And obviously you guys heard at the end, we got a little loopy with her, but she's, she's got this freedom ring on. I like want to go to drinks with her. She's like, she started out like super, like let's just education and you have your own study and you better not get lower than a 95 and all of that kind of stuff to yeah. Hip hop class, 
freedom ring. Like See, once uh, you work hard, it, then you can yeah, have exactly. fun. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's the <laughs> And that's the point. So guys, go home, get a 95, and then we can all do hip hop and wear really nice I will jewelry. say though, I do think it's very funny that our brains are like, 95 is so high. Why do we need a 95? It's, you know, that should be good enough. And I am fascinated by the whole tiger mom phenom. Not that she's saying she's a tiger mom, but she, but like, oh, okay. I know, having been around this experience of education in Asia and then coming back and educating her kids in the U.S., I, I don't, I don't want to push my kids to get hundreds and everything, but I want them to want the best they can possibly do. For and her themselves. simple thing is, you should understand the material. Yes. That's her. That is her message. And don't limit yourself by saying, well, I'm not good at this or I can't do it because you haven't done it perfectly yet. And now it's time for our favorite things. Now it's time for our favorite things. Yes. All right. My favorite thing this week is something that was recommended by one of Carmen's teachers. So one thing I've learned in terms of having a child with homework now is that it's not just like I was letting... For as much as I'm not good at math, I was very type A with all of my homework. So like I did well on everything, but like I really had to force myself, you know. Um, and so I have learned with my daughter doing homework, like I really want her to learn how to do it well. So I sit with her and we do it. So one thing I've learned with reading is like, she, you know, she's a pretty good reader and she um, like she'll read the book and then you have to to write how many minutes that they read it and I'm like like she'll read it in like one minute because it's like the cat ran over the street not, or like it's right. not that obviously the cat and has they a hat it too. They, like right exactly so she'll read it in like a minute I'm like yes good job you know wrong don't do that so don't like encourage them to speed read mm. yep learned that and I also learned that it's about the comprehension not just about the words so she would read it and they don't necessarily think about it they don't look at the pictures they don't relate to it so ah. the teacher was talking a lot about sight words and relating to things so number one having a conversation with them about what they had just read not be like great you finish that in a minute let's write it down I'll put my signature done and let's do the next piece of homework so there are these um, Carson DeLosa basic sight word flashcards so for her to when they start to sound things out like you know it's using the examples of after if they're after for them to be able to look at it and be like after so using these cards for them to just little by little be able to see the card as a whole without it connected to the other things but then after they read it also to comprehend it so my favorite thing this week is actually going to be a, a visual calendar so we this is something that John's preschool class does and I loved it so much and he loves it. He's a kid who just like really wants to know what's coming up and structure his day. He's his father's child. He like he's like I have a plan and my plan is happening. Um so we took pictures of each part of his day like the kids waking up, the you know getting ready for school and breakfast, going to school, activities they have after school, dinner time, bath time, movie time. Like you can do all the different fun things that you guys do as a family. Take a picture of it, laminate it, and you can obviously resize however. We have like a blank wall as you walk into the house. So um, you laminate it. And then I put little Velcro sticky stuff on the back of it. And you can, you that way, like at the beginning of the day, you lay out the order of like the eight sequence of events that happen throughout their day. And the kids know how to 
how to how each day changes and mm. how to predict for what's coming up in the day. That. And it's super fun because you can change it like seasonally. Like this time we have a lot of Christmas stuff happening. So we have like pictures from at Christmas of last year and in the spring we'll do stuff from like the spring of the year. So it's 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 a fun way, A, because it gets me to print out pictures that I've taken, which I'm really grateful for because otherwise they just sit in my phone and like I never see them again. But the kids love this, that they can actually predict what's about to happen for throughout, throughout their day and they get to come downstairs in the morning and like put their little, you know, their sort of schedule out, which is really fun for them. Yeah. Super cool. Crafty project for y'all. Very, very cool. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, We, first of all, just want to thank you um, because our mom brain community is growing. You guys are telling your friends about it and sharing these great episodes. And and we hear from you when you try things out or you, you know, you, you have thoughts about conversations we're having, which we love. Go ahead and continue to email us for mombrainpod at gmail.com. Or of course, we're on Instagram. We're also on YouTube now. If you want to watch videos of these episodes, please. Wild, wild, wild things, wild happen. things happening here at Hudson Yards. Um, but please do rate, review, subscribe for us. It's a big, big deal when we get um, reviews from you guys. Hopefully positive ones. Yeah, nice ones, please, guys. Positivity. We can't handle anything else. Uh, so we will catch you next Wednesday. Bye. Bye, guys. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.